couple months ago, we were, uh, the elders kind of talking about what we were going to do after the series on what we believe, that we spent 13 weeks in to start off this year on what we believe, on some core doctrines that we would say, this is what we believe as a church. And due to some various, some various interactions and various uh, comments, and then as we just began to pray, it was, it was so stood out, the book of First John. Just that we, because First John leans so heavily, talks so heavily upon our love for one another, specifically our love for one another within the church. And it's not that we think that we're just so awful at loving one another. That's, that's not what we intend to say. But I think sometimes it, we can talk a lot about loving people outside of the church, taking the gospel to the lost, going to the ends of the earth, and we forget to also love one another as Jesus has loved us within the walls of the church. And I, I don't mean that to downplay any part of the Great Commission or downplay our call to take the gospel to the nations. In no way do I want to downplay that. But there's no way that we're going to be able to do that well if we don't love one another in the body of Christ, if we don't love one another inside the church. And so as, as we look at this, that's what we're focusing on. I'm going to talk a lot this morning about loving one another. I'm going to see John talks about this a lot in First John. We're going to be in chapter 3, starting in verse 11. What I'm going to say, it also, yes, a lot of it you can take and, and also apply, apply to your love outside of the church, to, to those people that, that are not Christians or not believers. Absolutely. But I, but I want you to know that I am focusing on our love for one another, those people that are sitting close to you, even though a lot of you are spread out, but it's okay. Like those of you that are inside a part of this church, those of us that are not here this morning, that are part of this church, that is what I am focusing on this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and read 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good, goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. When I first began to read this passage, I was, I, the first question I was going to, I started to ask myself was, when it says from the beginning, what, is that talking like Adam and Eve from the beginning? Or is that talking Jesus from the beginning? And as I began to look at it, I realized the answer is kind of both. Because the call to love fellow mankind, to love others, has always been there. But then when Jesus comes on the scene, we, we, have, we have this new radical display of love. 
This new concept of what love is through what Jesus has done. And we're going to get to that um, in verse 16, but we're going to take our time getting there. So John in 1 John has been doing a lot of contrasting. Light, darkness, sin, confession. Tanner talked about it a couple weeks ago. They, us. He's been giving lots of contrast. And that's, kind of, that's what he does to start off this morning as well. Because he, in talking about love, which we're going to get to, he, the first thing he talks about is Cain and murder. And he goes back to the very first murder we see in Scripture. And just like Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, John is going to, and what, what he does is compare hatred to, to, to murder, to hating a brother to murder. He, he doesn't separate the two. And so that's what I want to do is as we look at Cain in this first little section, I want, to, I want us to see that it's not so much the act of murder that, that's being focused on. It's the heart that the murder came from. It's the heart that, that responded and then there was a physical murder that took place. So very, very, very quickly, in Genesis 4, we see the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, uh, are both go and they give, they give a sacrifice to God. That Abel, being a shepherd of sorts, gives an offering of um, his, the firstborn of his flock. Cain, being a worker of the ground, gives his, um, some fruits of the ground as an offering. And we see that God, it says, that God had regard for Abel's offering. And for Cain's offering, he had no regard. Cain gets really upset. Goes, and upset is probably a light way to say it. He gets upset and goes and kills his brother Abel. And what we see is, Genesis doesn't really give the description of, and here's exactly the motive behind it. But what we see in 1 John here, look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Sorry, my iPad is doing crazy things right now. We're just going to go. Um, you see that he did this out of, a, out of this jealousy, out of uh, a disdain for his brother. Give me a second. All right. I don't know what's going on here. So there's, been, there's a lot of talk, and we could talk more about why did God not have regard for, for Cain's offering, and, and why did he regard Abel's? And again, Genesis kind of leaves that question open. We don't see a whole lot of that. But here in 1 John, we see that his deeds were evil, and Abel's were righteous. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see that Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. Seemingly that Cain did not. So it wasn't just that this murder was a one-off. A one this, this, this murder came out of nowhere. But it came out of the selfish, evil desires of his heart. It wasn't just this isolated incident that out of nowhere it happened. But Cain was jealous. His deeds were evil. Sounds like we're talking a lot about love, right? And we're going to get to that. 
But first, what John shows us is something that is in direct contrast to love. One of the biggest barriers to genuine Christian love, which is jealousy. A jealous person is not going to love his brother, love his sister. You can't have both. John's saying, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. We, John, John is talking about a biological brother. But remember, he's talking in first, through 1 John, he's been talking about the body of Christ. He's the children of God. He's, talk, he's writing to a specific group of believers. So when he, he's talking about brother, sister, things like that. He's not talking only biological siblings here. He's talking about our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Those that have been adopted into the family of God. I'm not necessarily advocating that we should refer to ourselves as brother and sister, brother Nick or sister Skyler or anything like that. That's still weird. But like, I think that it's, that, that's an aspect of the relationship that we don't often think of. We don't often prioritize as our, our relationships as siblings, as children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But in looking at this, in talking about jealousy, have you ever been jealous of someone else in the church? That within this church, within any other church you've been a part of? Have you ever felt yourself being jealous? There's all sorts of things that we can be jealous about. Maybe it's jealous, jealousy over their economic status, their, their wealth, their money. Maybe it's jealousy of their relationships. Maybe they're married and you're not. Or maybe they're not married and you are. I don't know. Maybe it's jealousy over their spiritual, a spiritual gift that they have. Maybe they're a good teacher. Maybe they're a good leader. Maybe they're a good musician. Maybe it's jealousy over their spiritual maturity as a whole. I think what we see from the example of Cain, is that jealousy is a huge barrier to love. We're not going to be able to genuinely love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not going to be able to genuinely love those in the church with us if we're jealous. And I feel like if where there is any jealousy or envy present, like we need to be in active repentance over that before we can even get to love before we can genuinely love one another, we've got to seek to put that sin to death. I think that's something that we've got to establish first. There's a couple things that we've got to establish first before we get to what genuine Christian love within the body of Christ is supposed to look like. And I think this is the first one. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. John's going to begin again, again, to set up another contrast here. The, what the, what the, 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 the world is going to hate you. But it says you're going to look different than the world. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. 
but we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So the love of the church, the love of one another within the church, is going to look very different than the world. Very different than any concept of love that the world has. And because saved people, those that have been rescued, redeemed out of their sin, are called to a drastically different kind of love. Love that looks so different than the world. He says that we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love. It's not saying that you are saved because of the way that you love one another. But your love for one another displays that you are saved. The way that we love one another, the way that we, we're going to get to it in a minute, spoiler, the way that we sacrificially love one another displays that we understand the sacrifice of Jesus, understands that we understand, it shows that we understand what salvation means for us. It's going to look very different than the world. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The bigger point that I think John is making here is that you can't have both. You can't have a heart that is not abiding in love, where jealousy comes from, where murder, where hate comes from, and also love your brother. You can't have both of these. I don't think he's making the point that a murderer can't be saved or that a Christian could never commit murder. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. But he's saying you can't have both of these at the same time because out of the heart that is jealous comes murder. Out of the heart that murders is the same jealousy, is hate. And it's strong words, but I, I think that John is saying that if you're not loving your brothers and sisters, if you're not loving those around you, specifically in the context of the church, then your heart is no different than the jealous, hate-filled murderer, Cain, in this instance. These, I think these five verses are kind of, again, setting up a contrast, because we're getting to 16 through 18. He's kind of building up towards this. He says, expect that the world is going to hate you. Jesus says, hey, the world hated me first. The world killed Jesus. We can expect that as we look very different in the world, that the world's going to hate us. But our call as Christians, our call as the body of Christ, individually, corporately, is to follow after Jesus in every single thing that we do. As we walk, as we talk as he talked, as we respond as he responded, and as we love as he loved. And kind of setting up one of the barriers for Christian love, as we talked about, saw some hate, as we saw the example of Cain, what I want to do is spend the rest of our time Ooh, which is not as much as I'd hoped. Okay. Um, as we spend the rest of our time answering one question, answering one question, how can we love one another? How can we love one another 
as Jesus loved. Remember, in the church, focusing on those of us that God has placed together in this body. It's not a simple question. It's a radically complex question that we're probably going to spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how to answer. How can we love one another as Jesus loved? How can we love one another as Jesus loved? Let's read 16 through 18 again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Do you see what John is saying here? He lays it all out right here. Do you want, if you want to understand love, look at the cross of Jesus. If you want to know what love looks like, look at the cross. And if you know Jesus, if you've been saved been redeemed out of your sin, then you know what this love is. If you are saved, you know what this love is. That Jesus took your shame, your pain, your sin upon himself. That he gave up his life so that you might live, sacrificing himself That's what Jesus did for you. You know what love is. If you are saved, you know what this love looks like. But the love that John is talking about here that we are to have for one another is the same type of love. It's not a love that is rooted in ourselves. It's not a love that's rooted in uh, a certain belief. It's not a love rooted in tolerance or acceptance. It's not a love rooted in anything of this world. But it's a love that is only rooted in the cross. But again, for us to fully understand this, where we're building towards, I think there's another thing that we've got to understand. There's another very well-known verse in the Gospel of John in chapter 3 that I just want to kind of go through the very beginning portion. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then 1 John 3.16 says, And by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Like if you are saved, if you are saved, then it's because God so loved you. God so loved you. If we're going to love one another, we've got to understand how much God loves us first. For God so loved 
so easy to think, but, but I know me. I, I know my sin. I know what makes me unlovable. I know what idols I run to. I know how prone I am to wonder, wander. I know why I am so unlovable, but God so loved. For God so loved to the extent that he gave his only son. And by this we know love. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. If we're going to love one another, we first have to understand God's love for us. The great links that he went to in sacrificing his own son. In the second half of the verse in 16, he says, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I want you to let this sink in for a minute. Understanding God's great love for us. We've been called to love one another that same way. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The same way that that Jesus humbled himself, stepped out of heaven, became man, died on Roman cross, sacrificed himself to give us life. That same level of love That same type of love is what we have been called to love our brothers and sisters with. It's really easy in in this conversation to look around and and try to look at other people's hearts, and I really want to guard you not to do this. I want you to do a lot of looking at your heart, a lot of looking at your desires, your motives, Because have you loved your brothers and sisters in the church this way? Have you loved one another this way? Have you fallen short in this? Have you been selfish instead of sacrificial? Have you been prideful instead of humble? Have you sought to be served instead of to serve? Again, these are questions that I want us to answer for ourselves. Not for anybody else, but for ourselves. If we are going to sacrificially love one another, it's going to mean laying down our lives for one another. Laying down our lives for one another. More than likely, this is not going to mean we physically die for one another. But if it did, would you say no? I read this in one of the commentaries I read this week, but it says, self-preservation is the first law of physical life, but self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life in the church. The rest of the world says, preserve yourself, preserve your wealth, preserve your health, preserve your economic status. 
But this love, the love that was displayed on the cross, the love that we know in Jesus, the love that we are being called to, is far different than that. Verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I'm going to summarize in my own words. But if God's love abides in us, in you, in me, then all that we have is on the table to love our brothers and sisters. All that we have. It's all on the table. Start thinking about the stuff you have. It's all on the table. What I want to do is look back very quickly at a couple examples from the early church in Acts 2 and Acts 4. This is the early church's response. This is the way the early church loved one another. The way that they understood the love of Jesus and as it was displayed. You don't have to flip there. It's going to be on the screen, but maybe if you're taking notes, jot jot these down. The first one is Acts 2, 42 through 45. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Acts 4, 32-35 Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace fell upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many, for as, many as were owners of land or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Like, that was the the early church passionately in love with their Savior and sacrificially loving one another. No one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. This is radically different than the world. This is so different. A sacrificial love that puts it all on the table says, none of this, I'm holding it all in open hands. If anybody has a need, I'm going to meet it. If I can use anything that I have, I'm going to go to meet the needs of my brothers and my sisters. Again, asking us to look at our own hearts. Ask God to search our hearts. Like to be honest with yourself. As we read these, as, as I say these things, does it make you like, want to go home and lock up some stuff? Or maybe not bring your purse or your wallet next week or walk to church and you don't drive your car so it's not out here. Like what? How does that make you feel? But in all seriousness, what would it look like 
for someone to walk into the church and drop their car keys right here, their house key right here, their bank statement right here, and say, it's all for the meeting needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all, op- it's all an option. Take whatever you want. How does that make, is, do you feel that a little bit uncomfortable? Does it make you a little bit nervous? Self-sacrificial love. I promise I'm not going to set a basket by the doors. Like, we're not, we're not going to do that. But reading through Acts 2, reading through Acts 4, like, that's the sacrificial heart that I see. Love that understands the love of Jesus and is being displayed sacrificially to brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a love that is selfish. It's not a love that says, this is mine. I earned that. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I think we said we talked about jealousy being a barrier to, to genuine love. I think that greed is too. Because greed says that my stuff, I earned that stuff. I deserved that stuff that I worked hard for. That worldly stuff, that, that, that's mine. You didn't work for it, I did. And I'm not saying we shouldn't value the good gifts that a good Heavenly Father gives to His children. But I'm saying we also don't walk around with that stuff and say it's mine to do as I want. This kind of love is so huge. It's, again, a love that is only rooted in the cross of Jesus. A love that displayed in Jesus sacrificing his life. So, again, the same question. How can we love one another as Jesus loved? How can we love one another as Jesus loved? There's a story in John 13 of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. King Jesus, the right hand of God, steps out of heaven, becomes a man, on his way to die for the sins of man, gets on his knees, takes off the sandals of the disciples, and washes the muddy, disgusting feet of the disciples. The same Jesus that is Lord over all. The same Jesus that left glory to become man. Took the job of the lowest servant and washed his disciples' feet. In John 13, 15, Jesus says, For I have given you an example. This is right after he washes the disciples' feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I that you should also do as I have done to you. Do you know that some churches actually do this? Like some churches do this as a part of their service. Bowls, water, wash one another's feet as a model of this type of love. We could go get buckets. We could go start doing this right now. We're not going to. I really, really, really got close to doing it. But I've heard a lot of people say, well, that, that, that was just a cultural thing. 
like now in today's world, that's just kind of icky. Or, or I have a thing about feet. The type of love that John is talking about here, this type of love, the love that Jesus displayed on the cross gets past our things. This type of love says, I have a thing about feet, but I'm going to grab a rag. I hear that. Like, it says, I'm dropping my things. I'm getting past my pet peeves, my comforts, and loving one another, and loving my brother or my sister. Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He didn't do that so then we would try to be comfortable. That we would set limits on our service or on our love. That we would say, but our things, those, that's off limits. I'm not doing those things. How are you loving as Jesus loved? What does this look like? like a broken iPad. What does this kind of love look like? What does it look like at CRC? Loving one another with this way. Putting aside our own desires, our own own pride, our own comfort, our own plans to sacrificially love one another. What would it look like to see a brother or sister struggling financially. To walk up alongside them and say, I see you working hard. I see you trying to meet ends meet. I see you struggling. Let me walk through this with you. Let me use what God has blessed me with to help meet your needs, to go pay that power bill, to go do that as you're struggling. What would that look like? What would it look like to see that, that parent struggling under the weight of parenthood? To come alongside them and say, I see you struggling. To give that encouraging word. To, to watch the kids. To come alongside and, try and help. Maybe you don't like kids. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe your heart's not for childcare, not to watch children. The type of love that we're, that we're seeing here is a love that says, maybe I don't like children, but I love that parent so much that I'm going to sacrifice my own priorities, my own wants, and serve that parent. Maybe it's a brother or sister that you see continually beat down and discouraged. What would it look like to set aside your plans for an evening and invite them over for dinner? To take them out for ice cream? To, to, to put aside your plans, maybe you were doing something different to drop those, to love your brother? What would it look like if we see one another, see someone just struggling to keep up, can't keep up with what all the world's throwing at them? What would it look like to say, hey, I'm coming over on Tuesday night. I want to wash your clothes. I want to clean your garage. I want to mow your yard. I want to clean, scrub your bathroom. I'm coming over going to set aside what I was doing. I'm going to set aside that I hate bathrooms. 
I want to set aside that that's gross. I'm bringing my gloves. I'm going to work. Loving our brother, loving our sister, sometimes might be just an encouraging word. They might be walking in on Sunday morning and say, I just want to pray with you right now. Can we go pray? It might mean an encouraging note, an encouraging email, an encouraging phone call. Any number of things. But how are we sacrificially loving one another? I could stand up here and give example after example after example. And I don't think there's a script on this is going to look like this, 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 this. But what it does look like is each one of us continually laying down our lives for our brothers, for our sisters, for those that God has put us with. Living this way stands out from the world. The world says, that is crazy. This is the type of love that Jesus displayed for us. This is the type of love that should define us as a church. A group of people so wrapped up in our identity in Christ, so understanding the great salvation that we've been given, that we display that same love to one another. This only happens, this can only happen if we know Jesus, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Go read Philippians 1 through 3. Paul says, I count it all as a loss. All that I have, it's a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. So all that we have can be held in open hands to serve and love one another because we have all that we need in Jesus. The rest of it can be held in open hands as we lay down our lives for our family, for our siblings, for our brothers and sisters in this church. Verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. The last thing that I want from this morning is for us just to judge only to start saying I love you to each other more. I think we could do that. I think we very well should do that, actually. But if that's all that it is, we missed it. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This kind of love is not just a love that speaks. It's a love that acts, a love that seeks to meet needs. I've had the song from DC Talk stuck in my head all week. Love is a verb. L-U-V-E. Love is a verb. I think they're going to listen to it back there. But, like, love is an action. It's something that we do. Jesus went to the cross in love. I don't know what a specific response to tell you. Okay, go do this. Go do this exact thing because this is going to look very different. And if it's something we force, if it's something that you just say, okay, I'm going to go scrub that toilet. I'm going to hate every minute of it. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what John's talking about. 
It's loving one another so much that we lay down our lives, our preferences, our comforts for one another. So I, I don't know what your response needs to be in this moment. As we begin to close, I don't know what your response needs to be. I don't know if you need to repent over your selfishness, over your greed, over your jealousy. I don't know, but I I, I do encourage you to seek. Ask God to search you, to reveal it all, to reveal where you've been selfish, where you've been greedy, where you maybe have failed to love. But... Also, in that same time, we can rejoice because we know Jesus. Because we know what that love is supposed to look like. We can rejoice knowing how much God loved us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If you know Jesus, won't you love the same way? Won't you love the same way? So I'm just going to ask that you respond. Respond in prayer. Respond in repentance. Respond in joyful worship over the love that Jesus displayed on the cross. But then I also encourage you to respond over the next days, weeks, months. Respond in sacrificial love for one another. As we ponder and as we think about, as we remind ourselves of the love of Jesus, that we respond in loving our brothers and our sisters, loving those that we've been adopted with and put in the same family. Let's pray.